Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of We Need to Talk. I'm your host, Melinda, joined by my co-host, Carmel. Hey. And in studio today, because we are talking all about the Democratic nominees, we have mm-hmm. our favorite Democratic strategist and political analyst, Drexel Hurd. He is no stranger to the We Need to Talk family. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are going to be talking about these the last two debates that you saw last week with 20 candidates. Yes, you heard correct. 20 candidates that we kind of heard, all got to hear them speak. <laughs> Not really all no, of them. No, no. Uh, but before we get into that, make sure you like, subscribe, comment, and share if you love what we are doing. We are now on our 14th episode, I think. This is the 14th. Oh my gosh. Uh, we're going to do about nine more episodes and then we'll end season one and then we're going to get into some good stuff into the fall. So make sure you are following us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, iTunes, all of that stuff. You know what to do. You're part of the social media uh, uh, era. So uh, let's get to talking about these uh, candidates. Mm. So on uh, Tuesday and Wednesday night of last week, we had um, the first round of debates for the Democratic primary. And we had, like I said, 20 candidates. Some of those people that were on stage, I was like, who are these people? I've never heard their names before. Obviously, there are some people that are a little bit more popular than others. But I'm going to read you the names of all the people that were there. Yes, bear with me, because I want you to know who we're talking about. Here you go. So we had Joe Biden, who we all know, Cory Booker, Pete Buttigieg, Julian Castro, Bill de Blasio, Tulsi Gabbard, Kirsten Gillibrand. Uh, Kamala Harris, John Hickenlooper, I'm obsessed with his last name, Jay Inslee, <laughs> Amy Klobuchar, uh, Beto O'Rourke, Tim Ryan, Bernie Sanders, Eric Swalwell, Elizabeth Warren, and Marianne Williamson, and Andrew Yang. So those are the 20 Democratic nominees that split into two nights. So the first night, let's, let's kind of do a debrief of what happened on the first night. Who mm. was on that stage, Drexel? Well, John Delaney was on that stage in the first night. See, I don't even remember him. <laughs> I don't um, even remember him. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. These people don't even he get did, a chance he did, to talk. He did, yeah, he did talk did, a couple did, times. A, um, maybe a couple. You know, the first... The first <laughs> Barely. So just to kind of give everybody a little bit of background of how people made that debate stage. Yeah. Because I think that's, that's what's super important. important. It wasn't something that was just, you know, the DNC and, and NBC were like, we only want these people. You had to have uh, met a threshold, which mm-hmm. was uh, 60,000 unique individual donors, and you had to have been polling... Uh, at 1% or higher. Mm-hmm. In this case, uh, there were some people who did not make that. There are some people who almost did not make that. I know that Cory Booker was pushing in the last uh, uh, few couple a few weeks to make sure that he could get those donors as well. So there's a lot of folks yeah. that um There's some people surprised that hit, did make it. <laughs> that struggled to hit that. Yeah. Um, so, and then, and then the names were uh, randomly drawn out of a hat which actually gave Elizabeth Warren, someone like Elizabeth Warren, a little bit of an edge to have almost the entire night to herself in night one. Um, there were some favorites, and I think, fav- I say favorites in terms of how we have um, elevated some people uh, based on situations like the U.S. Senate race in Texas. Uh, so Beto O'Rourke was on that stage. Um, <clears throat> and then you had somebody like Julian Castro, uh, who is President Obama's... Um, Housing and Urban Development Secretary. So there are some really good folks on that stage. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren just really had uh, pretty much that stage to herself. Uh, but she kind of took a step back, which is always good. Yeah. Uh, because you don't want to peak too early. You don't want to do... You want to do what Kamala Harris did in <coughs> night two, but mm-hmm. Elizabeth Warren was like, I'm just going to... I feel like I'm in a lower tier right now. I mm-hmm. don't have to do as much work. Mm. So and kind of going off of that, 
it seemed, even though it was drawn out of a hat who was doing the debate, it seemed very, very predetermined who was going to be on what night and who was going to be up against who. Mm-hmm. Because I think it was very obvious, at least to me, the second night were was the more popular and well-known candidates. And then you on the first night, you did have Cory Booker, Beto O'Rourke, and Elizabeth Warren, which are kind of like... The, not, sorry, Cory Booker was on the second night. He was second. Yeah, yeah, sorry. You had Elizabeth, um, Beto O'Rourke, and then who was next to Elizabeth on stage? I'm trying to remember. <clears throat> Um, but they well, were Cory Booker was first night. He okay, so he was. So it was Cory Booker. Elizabeth, oh yeah, because he looked at Beto O'Rourke. There's that meme with him when he started speaking Spanish. Um, yeah, we got to talk about that. We, we got to talk. About, we're oh gonna talk God. about that. But you had the four of them in the middle, which I think was very much so on purpose mm-hmm. as yeah, far the as most staging popular, goes. The most yeah, 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 yeah. But they're is they're the most popular on that night, right. and then they were kind of figuring out okay, who's going to be against these really really popular ones like Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders and Kamala Harris. Yeah. Do you th- so you think that there is a strategic plan as far as how that goes? I mean, that is not what the DNC and the N- and NBC certainly said. I-, I certainly wish they would have done it like on camera, mm. um, just kind of drew those names out of the hat. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that would have probably quashed some rumors out there. But right. it seemed that NBC was very emphatic about the fact that names were just randomly drawn, and that's how it was done. <clears throat> but... You know, again, it it helps some people in for in one night one, and it hurts some people in night yeah. two. So it it really depends on what you believe at this point. And um, I know a lot of those folks um, are going to struggle getting into getting onto the debate stage um, at the end of July. Yeah, for well, because sure. that threshold has. If you ask yeah. me, up. it's all staged. And I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll always say this, and I'll always lead with that. So, a critical thinker. Yeah, okay. <laughs> or conspiracy theorist. No, no, he <laughs> likes to say critical oh, got thinker. It, got we, it. we changed it. Because <laughs> yes. I was saying conspiracy theorist. Right. He's like, critical thinker. Critical and I was thinker. like, okay. Um, because whatever <laughs> they say, again, there's the they again, uh, we spoke earlier about, um, of course it's staged. And of course it's supposed to look a certain way. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this. Out the gate, Elizabeth Warren said, the only thing I needed to hear and I watched the rest, but it's all I needed to hear because unless this happens, none of it matters. She says we need to have deep and major structural change. Mm-hmm. That's it. Every bill, agenda, piece of legislation that does not change the structure or even our entire government, the way people, all that, all it's just like, it's 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 fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Seeing people get all riled up and then speak in Spanish, but it, you sound like a Google Translate. It was horrible. <laughs> Why are people speaking Spanish that don't speak Spanish natively? They well, it was just... on Telemundo. So oh they were trying, God. you know, they were catering to the people that were watching. Pandering to the people. <laughs> Let's get it right. <laughs> Complete. When Cory Brooker came out with it, I was like, okay, I got to go. I got to go. Well, to, to be fair, you know, we, we know that the Hispanic population is going to be the majority very soon. Yeah. Um, and it is in the, our best interest uh, and especially in terms of Democrats, in terms of candidates, to be able to communicate effectively in, in by any means necessary um, to the large swath of a community uh, that will be voting or that we hope to be voting mm-hmm. in our favor mm-hmm. over the next few, uh, few election cycles. Um, Cory Booker speaks Spanish. Yeah, so does uh, Julian so Castro. So does Julian Castro. Uh, so did Tim Kaine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, Beto... The problem with Beto speaking Spanish when out the gate mm-hmm. was that it had nothing to do with the question. If he, he was would stalling. Have, if, he would have mm. pl- if he had placed it in a different area um, to say, you know, now I want to address the Hispanic community directly, and then he spoke Spanish, yeah. I think there's a way to 
to incorporate Spanish without just saying it. Right. Because then some people are like, well, where did that come from? It was right. so jarring. Yeah, and I think that the, I think that candidates who are going to speak Spanish have to be able to, you know, if you watch, for example, Justin Trudeau, uh, the French Canadian mm-hmm. Prime Minister, mm-hmm. he uh, or the Canadian Prime Minister, he does. They always do one set of remarks in English, and then they always do one in set French. of remarks in French. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they know that it's coming. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, I think that as candidates start to go forward if they're going to switch into a different language that they know, Pete Buttigieg, for example, speaks like seven languages, seven languages. Yeah. you know? So say, Hey, you know, now I'm going to talk directly to this because then that perks us another side of ears up like, Oh, okay. Now he's talking to me. Right. Right. Now. Right. Um, and I think that's the better way to do it mm-hmm. as opposed to having people look at you on the stage and be like, what are you doing? What, that wasn't even the question. <clears throat> It, was, it, it, it wasn't the question. It was very random. But I also think that, for me at least, Beto seemed the least prepared. Yeah, he listened. But Beto seemed the least prepared coming into this whole race. But I think people expected more of him because he was a, he was a popular name. People knew him. People liked listening to him talk when he was running against Ted Cruz. And I think people were. I was personally disappointed. He wasn't like at the top for me, but I did like his personality. Sure. And I thought he might even be a good VP pick. Now I just kind of think he's out of the running. The thing about Beto O'Rourke is that people liked him as a person. He reminded everybody of like a. Texan Barack mm-hmm. Obama, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was also running against the least popular person in the United States Senate. In the country, in the country, no, at, you know. But I mean, but, you yeah. know, and so he had an advantage. He had that advantage for him <clears throat> and to failed. make him a favorite. Yeah. I mean, the same thing happened to uh, John Ossoff in Georgia. They, they were running against people that people just did not like, right. and so it helped elevate them. Right. If you if you actually look at Beto O'Rourke. He doesn't have, and, and you saw his Senate campaign too, he doesn't have a large, well-rounded platform. Right. He doesn't have a lot that he's offering, and he doesn't, like, he's rolled out an immigration plan, and you're like, well, of course you roll out an immigration plan because you live in Texas. Mm-hmm. Like, like, like roll out some other plans that right. actually, that, that people aren't expecting. Right, right, Because right. you need to win Texas somehow. Mm-hmm. Like, do, do better mm-hmm. uh, if you're going to be a candidate. If you've been, you know, he did a whole, like, 58-day drive around the country and you come back with no plans? <laughs> well, Do you know I, mean, I mean, honestly, like, it's funny because we say he, the way he came off on stage, the way he looked last night, it's, we're, we're, we want people to perform. We want someone to get up there and say cool things and look a certain way and he looked scared. He looked nervous a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of that, you know, that debate and things he came out and then the Spanish thing, like, all of it just was a big cluster and so it's funny because now we feel like, oh, he's not going to work as our president because I, I didn't like the way he performed last night. And I heard several pundits talk about their performance, their mm-hmm. performance, because it's a show. Right. So like, we have to get up and get excited for someone, regardless of their actual ability to run this country. But like, if they don't make me feel good or they don't say funny things or they don't look a certain way or like come off like, you know, very quick and smart and able to like, you know, take jabs and give him back. Like, what does it have to do with being a president? But that matters. Uh, and it does, it matters. It, it, yes, it does matter because that is the time that we live in right. now. Whether or not you are running for office or you are in the music industry or you are an actor, what you do and what you say and how viral it can get matters to people. Mm-hmm. Um, it might not matter to the folks who are deeply invested in 
seeing the country move forward, but certainly to get somebody out excited to vote or mm-hmm. to buy an album or to buy or go to the movie theaters or anything like that, you certainly have to, the marketing side of what you do matters to get your polling numbers up. Mm-hmm. You know, <clears throat> there were several things uh, that Julian Castro going after Better work on that he said on the first night, per, in, in particular on immigration, um, you know, Julian Castro knew what he was doing. He was going after somebody who is not Hispanic, who everybody assumes is Hispanic, uh, and 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 we've been letting him get away with it. So Julian Castro was like, "Let me remind you that I'm one of the few Hispanic people out of the 20 people that are running for president, right, right. and I'm not going <clears throat> to let this person get away with it." Uh, and the same thing you saw Kamala Harris say in night two. You know, so I think that they're that is something that they have to do mm-hmm. because people don't know, but you know. so then we're again, it's catering, it's pandering, it's getting people decided to vote. But at the end of the day, if the people find someone they like and vote for them, they may not so get in. So what does it really matter? I mean, what is it? What's the point if I'm trying to get someone excited about someone? And if they do get in, look at our president. Now. Is he actually making changes that are really affect us? Is he really helping us? So getting someone excited about someone because they speak well Yet the policies they bring into play don't really help me. What's the point? I think that there is a. I think that sometimes we um, we forget that the role of the president. That we forget. Like, we kind of like think that the president is going to save everything. They they treat. That's how it's. That's how it's played. That's yeah, it's because it is the head treat, of the state. Yeah, but I'm they s- treat the president like he's a deity, and right. I think that that's a, and that's the problem with people. And I think yeah. that, and I was saying this to somebody the other day that you know we have this idea in our head as Americans of what we perceive to be presidential. Right. Um, we've seen it on television. Mm-hmm. We've seen it through the la- you know the last forty five presidents, forty four presidents. Um, <laughs> We've seen it um, in books, and what we think of somebody being great in stature um, is what we think is presidential. But then now we're at the point where we start looking at people like Elizabeth Warren, we start looking at people like Pete Buttigieg, and we start looking at people um, like an like an Amy Klobuchar or Kirsten Gillibrand mm-hmm. or some of these people that you're like, I I don't know if they could be, could, can they be a president? Kamala like, Harris. Kamala Harris is a little bit different. She's a little bit yeah. different. She's a, because she's a different pedigree. Right. She is a she is in the Obama elite look and feel of being a president. Mm-hmm. So we don't question the fact that she could be president of the United States mm-hmm. right. because mm-hmm. she looks like she could be sitting behind the Oval Office mm-hmm. desk. Some other people, like the thing about Bernie Sanders is that he might have elevated some ideas that had already been elevated before. Mm-hmm. Like these ideas that Bernie Sanders are saying, and I, I know that there are people out there who believe that Bernie Sanders came up with everything that <laughs> he's, he's said over the past, since 2016. I'm like, actually, no. Um, but can a majority of Americans see somebody like Bernie Sanders sitting behind the Oval Office desk? And that is what, that is another point. That, I mean, if you look at Trump voters, they just wanted somebody who looked the part, who could win, and represented their quote and unquote represent values. Their values, right? <laughs> That's all they cared about. Yeah. It yeah. looked presidential to them. Yeah, it was central casting, and Donald Trump talked about it a lot when he was talking about his cabinet picks, mm-hmm. how central casting they looked, mm-hmm. because that's the world that he knows, yeah. and he knows that that's what people yeah, yeah, yeah. see on television. That's what they want to see. Mm-hmm. Do they fit that role? And Democrats, for the most part, at least in this primary, and we've been lucky to have the twenty-three candidates or so that we have. We have a 
such a diverse group of looking people that any one of them could be president. We just have to get past our initial bias of what we think is presidential. I I think you're right in saying that, but it is hard to get past a little bit because there are certain people I'm looking at, like, I don't see Kirsten Gillibrand as president. I don't. I see her as right. a Fox News correspondent, even though she's Democratic. <laughs> like, the way she looked, she looked like a Fox News yes, correspondent. Right, right. And that's what's terrible, but I'm sure there are a lot of people who see that as well. I, I think, well, some of the things she focused on, too, I just didn't agree with, but I, I don't think we're going to get past that anytime soon. Because sure. Like, it, yeah. Kirsten Gillibrand is great. She's mm-hmm. been great for New York City. Uh, or New York State, and she will make a great governor of New York State at some point. Um, But we'll see what happens. Like, she'll never be able to break through some of the more popular candidates. For sure. Um, I think that, you know, her focus focus has always been on um, family... Um, women's rights. Women's rights. Huge. I, I say, I, I say, like the pre-K and and the things that she talks about primarily in the debate. I think when you get, and that's something that she's been talking about since she launched her campaign, and that's hard to break out of. Like these one-issue candidates, Jay Inslee's talking about climate change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, um, um, Kirsten talking about you know family values and things like that. Like mm-hmm. those one-issue candidates have a hard time breaking out of that yeah. if they're not doing multiple yeah, yeah, yeah. multiple speeches. Well, I actually this. think she focused too much on women's rights, and I'm saying that as a woman because I don't think that she was catering to America as a whole because she constantly <clears throat> was bringing up I'm in a fight for women I'm in a fight for women's rights I'm in a fight for reproductive rights and all the stuff and I'm like yeah she went great. a little bit on about healthcare too for a minute mm-hmm. and she, she made some couple points about that but then like if it, it almost seems as a woman like you're supposed to say something about you know women's rights and if you don't then it's like like for example when um the one I can't he made a statement about um de Blasio Something about how mm-hmm. he made, he's the only one that made reform for women's health care. And then the other lady said, well, we've all worked hard to get women's health care, but you haven't actually done anything. Mm-hmm. So she just had to say something. Like mm. when She wasn't really saying that he didn't do that. She said, well, we, we've all worked hard. Like, Well, why are you saying that? You come off as, not, as defensive. Mm. But if she didn't say something, then it's like, okay, well, now you're not really standing up for women. So it's like, again, like some of these people can't – if you really are p- passionate about something and not just playing the game of politics – and the look and central casting and whatever, and you really are going at a, an agenda and a policy to help and bring change, you don't work. You don't fit. But you want, we want someone that has a full breadth of like a whole bunch of plans and a whole bunch of things to do this, and we get riled up and excited about them, and that's who we want. We want someone tall, we want someone broad shoulders, whatever. But maybe you can't do the job. Maybe you really don't work, but you look the part. You fit the part, so that's who we'll vote for. So even like we said, the threshold was 60000 Donors, why do they need that? Why do you need one donor? Why can't you just get up there and speak for me because I think you could do the job? Why do you need a 60,000 donors? What does that do for you? Well, I like having guidelines. I think having guidelines because then otherwise we'd have even more well, candidates we really, than we have Why now? not really pick from a hat then? Because I guarantee you this was, there's not, no one's picking from a hat and really just, oh, let's put, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris been on the same night. Of course they want them on the same night. So obviously there was some kind of strategic for sure, part for to sure. this. But yeah, I'm not saying anyone can just get up and be on the debate, but like, the, the guidelines and standards we're setting only c- create the issues we're dealing with. You're saying we need donors. You need sponsors. People need $50 billion to even run a campaign. Why? Why do you need this much money to run this campaign? It's obviously now an issue that people are going to put money behind you that want something from you. Well, I mean, look, at the end of the day, we know why there are – why campaigns are so expensive. Mm-hmm. And it is to get that message out. 
Um, and, and that has a lot to, less to do with the candidate themselves uh, or the candidates themselves and more to do with, um, you know, the news organizations, the, the TV organizations, the radio stations, mailing, you know, Democrats, uh, you know, w- we certainly do our part to use union um, printers on everything and uh, you have to pay for things. Um, and, and, and then you've got to pay your whole team and then you've got to pay your, all of your, you got to pay all of your, uh, your, your state, uh, teams and then, and then go down the list, right? There's a whole, it all costs money. Things to yeah. pay if for. if yeah. you're doing it that way, I guarantee you, if you give me a million dollars, I could run an Instagram campaign that would do just as much damage. <laughs> I, mean, I guarantee I, you. I guarantee you. I, I mean, you. I suppose if you're, if you're. You know, voters in Iowa and voters in New Hampshire love that one-on-one connection because sure. they are the first in the nation um, mm-hmm. to vote, uh, and they pride themselves on that. So they don't necessarily let the TV dictate where they go. Um, they've been doing that for years, and they—that's why nobody wants to change where they sit in the primary. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, I guess if you're saying that like Russia has, you know, kind of influenced our way of thinking in terms of social media. Sure. Yeah. You well, could, I'm not, you no, could. I'm not saying that at all. Cause how, how did Russia do that? Well, well, I mean, I'm saying spreading a disinformation campaign. But how do we know Russia did that? Because we've talked about it. Well, we've talked about it, but and my by, question by, is, by how we, do we know Russia we, actually did that? Because we've been told by, by national security okay, teams. Exactly. That that's the, exactly. That's, that's what I'm saying. It's right. all part of it's all part of the whole thing we're talking about. Someone told me this, so now I have to right. believe that, which creates an, an, another right. agenda and creates people feeling a but, certain but way but about the idea something that else. You, but the idea that you don't believe the national security team is no, worrying. So, okay, well, we can disagree on that. <laughs> um, Good, I, we need to disagree on this show. I, listen, I, I think that if you've got a large swath of Congress uh, looking at reports all day and 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 getting briefed on national security, there is no, there is, there, there are very few analysts. There are people at the top like John Bolton who have an agenda. But when you get down to, you know, real um, national security analysts who their job is every day, who take pride in what they do every day and looking at data and analyzing data and making sure that the country is safe, those are the people that are reporting back. Safe from what? Um, safe from external uh, and internal sometimes. Mm, um, more, more likely internal. Mostly external <laughs> um, uh, forces than... That is going to be something that, you know, that is undeniable um, because it's like this. My dad was a Marine. There are some people who don't believe in um, in serving uh, mm-hmm. and, and what that represents. Right. I, on the other hand, seem to I believe that there are a lot of good uh, people who want to serve in for whatever reason. And they do it. And, you know, to to say otherwise is disrespectful to those people who are putting themselves on the line, whether or not they are military or they are NSA or any or CIA or anything like that. I have two follow-up things, but I want to, I'm going to go backwards. So just talking about people serving and then we're going to get back to the debates. (laughs) You saying that made me think, do you think though it's more people of color that don't understand why people serve this country based on our history? Because I can actually get behind that and understand why more people of color wouldn't want to serve in the military, knowing that this country really wasn't fighting for them. Well, look, when my dad was a colonel, mm-hmm. he was one of 50 out of 500 colonels, 50 black colonels mm-hmm. out of 500 in the Marine Corps. Mm-hmm. You know, that's staggering. Mm-hmm. You know, those numbers are staggering. So uh, I think that we, I, I mean, I, I couldn't tell you why. Mm-hmm. I think I think that, you know, 
recruiters are one thing because right. certainly recruiters go in. Black people tend to be a little bit more skeptical on a lot of things. As I it mean, should be. I'm sitting next to what one I'm of saying. Them. What I'm saying. <laughs> well, I mean, what, I, what I'm mm-hmm. saying. For example, it took Barack Obama to win Iowa um, for black voters to come around. Right. 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 Um, and I said this to somebody the other day about Kamala Harris, which was um, Kamala Harris has to e- either come in second or win the Iowa caucus or come or or the New Hampshire primary. She's got to come into the top. She also has to do a very big speech on um, race Mm -hmm. and her prosecutorial record. She needs to like push that. She needs needs to get it out of the way. Like Barack Obama did with, with uh, Reverend, Reverend Jeremiah, right? And then keep it rolling because, and I'm sure it's in their plans to do that. Um, however, uh, you know, to answer your question, I don't know why. I think more people are not wanting to serve because they don't necessarily um, want to serve, want to serve <laughs> anymore. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but the, the, but there are people out there who want to serve just because they, they, they feel strongly about um, service <laughs> to the country. For sure. And I don't think that that just means service to. The, I think I think part of the thing that we've that I think has been the problem is that we define service to the country um, as one thing. Mm -hmm. um, And and that is the military as opposed to service to the country as a teacher or service to the country as a police officer or service to the country as a firefighter or any of those public service opportunities and jobs. And And we have put all of our eggs in one basket um, instead of being able to talk to families um, as as a whole. At the same time, though, it does not stop Americans from supporting the troops as a whole um, in terms of funding. We see that with, um, you know, how we can spend trillions of dollars on funding. However, I also know as a recipient of TRICARE Prime, um, it is one of the best healthcare systems in the nation. Mm-hmm. I just have so happen to believe that TRICARE Prime should be offered to teachers. Yeah. And, 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 and police officers and, and anybody who is stepping up to serve for the greater good. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so my, my dad was also in the Marines, gunnery sergeant. <clears throat> my brother, both my brothers, um, one's a major, one's a lieutenant, Air Force and Army. My stepdad, um, he was also in the Army. One of my best friends, his son just joined the Air Force. So I have a lot of people around me who have um, served 10, 20, 30 years and guys who are just getting in now for different reasons. My mom would not let me walk into a recruiting office <laughs> and to this day has no regrets about it because she has a different feel about mm. uh, the military. So black people as a whole, yeah, we are skeptical f- with good reason. Because, yeah, I can go serve and I can probably do 20 years, uh, get a pension, make good money, get educated, um, have a great job, have a great life, whatever. And at the same time, I could be a guy who does four years, come back and have nothing and no one do a thing for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. And if we just go back 50, 60 years with so many black men coming back from war, coming back after doing a tour and not only not getting uh, basic care, basic necessities, but then being treated like crap. Mm-hmm. And regardless of them being a veteran, regardless of who they were when they were in Iraq, in Vietnam, in Korea, in Germany, wherever they were, you get here, who cares? So if someone is skeptical or has, a, has ill will or feelings about the military and they have uh, that history, they have every right to feel that way. Sure. On the same 
on the same note, if someone like my, my friend's buddy who's in the Air Force, who in a year looks like a totally different kid. I mean, he is absolutely <laughs> a, a man now. And I'm like, it's obviously working. He loves right. it. He has uh, dreams of going to CIA. <clears throat> He's working on some stuff right now. Love it. So there's two sides of that. And neither one is wrong. Um, I just don't like when people sometimes look at not liking the military or not liking someone serving as being disloyal to America mm-hmm. or I'm not patriotic. Mm-hmm. Um, so many ways this country was not loyal or patriotic to me or my family or cousins or ancestors from way back when. So I have that right. Um, and if it's if it's not being disrespectful to someone, cool. But yeah, if I'm going to go out of my way and make someone feel bad about it or like, you know, rant and rave about what I don't like, that's different. Um, I just think we can't look at the atrocities this country has um, laid upon people and think they're supposed to be okay with it, mm. um, whether it's military, whether it's police. I mean, yeah, the police are supposed to be servants too. So when you are in the police department, you are serving the country, but it's not shown that way, and they're not asked right. to act the same right. way. Mm-hmm. They don't have the, the the nobility of someone. When someone in the in the Marines walks up, mm-hmm. everyone, mm-hmm. everyone, thank you, appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Cop walks around, hmm. There's right. fear. There's, there's fear. Not respect. There's, right. There's yeah, so, yeah. I, I don't yeah. feel at ease when you're around. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. who's that on? That's not on me. I can't help the way I feel about that. That's on that that sector, that person, that department, whatever they're doing, they're not making me feel as a citizen at ease. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with the fact that the that the United States military is global and they're not as directly affecting communities down the line. Like, they're not in the community, so they don't necessarily have to. Like, when somebody leaves and comes back, they're like, oh man, you were around. But if you were here and there mm-hmm. were tanks rolling around the streets and there were things, you know what I mean? <laughs> there were things right. going on. Mm-hmm. That right. would affect people's psyche a little bit different of course. than, than um, having military come out. But, you know, I'm certainly not a person that believes that Going back to what you said, that disrespecting uh, the military is dis- disloyal to America. What I was saying is specifically about the person whose choice mm. it is that they want to serve in a way is disrespectful to them right. and what they feel like they are doing to protect the country, whether or not you are um, a, a, a national security analyst or CIA mm-hmm. or FBI or any of those um, organizations that sometimes people vilify because. Um, they what they see their skepticism is is putting the department uh, is on the department and thus everybody else who has gone out of their way to want to serve. Listen, I just did a wedding the other day who the guy just got recruited by the CIA. Mm. So like you know, and he's a marine and he's doing a, different things and you know he's one of the nicest people. And I'm like, it takes a certain type of person to want to be like, I'm going to serve. And I want to just make sure that the country is safe by any means necessary. Right. Right. And I think that those are the people um, that if you make that choice, more power to you. You know, do it. You know, same thing with politicians. It takes a certain level of narcissism. 100%. To be a politician. And say, I can lead this <laughs> And say, people. right. And say that I'm the one to yeah. do it. Yeah. Or I'm yeah. the one to lead, uh, you know, be a congressman or be a city councilman mm-hmm. Or, mm-hmm. or do this. I'm the one to do that. Um, and, you know to again to vilify those people to say that a politician all politicians are bad like somebody's got to do it, and it's not going to be somebody who does not believe they are the right person for the job right um right. that is just the society that we live in which it takes a certain type of person to do that it takes a certain type of person to be an actor mm-hmm. if you think that you're better than somebody else going into the audition room you could be a politician mm. <laughs> 
Yeah. 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 No, Same thing with music. I, my songs are better than this person. I want to be on the Billboard 100 Absolutely. at the top. Absolutely. You could be a politician mm-hmm. because you are playing people chess just like everybody else. You are For sure. hyper-targeting mm-hmm. those people For with sure. beats. You're hyper-targeting those probably with movies, with your choices and stuff like that. So this idea that it is that it, that that we vilify a certain type of uh, of a profession is always really um, unsettling to me um, because we don't apply the same standards uh, to, other to, to, to other professions. Agreed. But like, so my mom, mm-hmm. when I first uh, became a comic, <clears throat> was like, "Oh, they do a smoke crack and <laughs> drink and all that." And she's basing that on you know Richard Pryor, of and course, saying, right. you know whatever, in one or two situations where that happened. And it becomes the you know the blanket statement for all comics. But then that's how our society works. When we see something on TV, it creates a narrative for us in our minds and mm-hmm. our homes, and we run with that. Yep. You know, like the presidency. Oh my gosh. I mean, exactly. seriously, it goes back exactly. to we full circle about what we talked no, about. No, 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 you're 100%. right. You're right. You're right. You're right. So um, I want to go back because as you were talking about this, it made me remember a thing that you said about the word agendas. And I really want to get out of this negative connotation of that word because agenda is just a list of things that you plan to do. Mm -hmm. And I want politicians and I want candidates to have an agenda because I want to know exactly what you're going to do when you get into office, what you're going to do for these people and how you're going to do it. So I really think we need to get out of this mindset that having an agenda is a bad thing. I think it is actually a very good thing to have an agenda. And you see that in Elizabeth Warren. I mean, she has, she has all but doubled down on this idea um, that she has a plan for everything. It's on everything that she puts out. Right. I have a plan for that. She, you know, the other night during the second debate, you know, when the question was, do you have a plan to, to, this is to everybody. Do you have a plan to deal with Mitch McConnell? And oh, her answer, and her answer was, "Yep, I have a plan for that." And I wish she would have just left it there mm-hmm. and not said anything know, else after I that, know. because all she had to do was say that, and everybody would have known exactly what she was saying. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. Don't like, yep. you worry. Mama Warren has a plan for it. <laughs> I've already thought about how best to deal with it. Right, right. And uh, but at the same time, you know, the plan. Uh, that I would have liked to hear from a majority of our presidential candidates um, would have had to do with the Senate, which is I have a plan to not only um, elevate uh, uh, my policies, but uh, help Democrats across the country uh, who are running in Senate races that are so important um, so we can beat Republicans at the ballot box Mm -hmm. in these Senate races. Mm -hmm. I would have liked to see a more um, uh, party structure uh, answer to some of these people because we know that yes, you can win the presidency, we can lose the Senate, and still be in somewhat of a situation, um, t- you know, four years from now mm-hmm. or whatever. So, I think that the Democrats have to start talking about the Senate as the key, as the goal, mm. okay. as a, as opposed to the, in addition to their policies. Nobody right. can say my plan. I have a plan for this without tying that to the Senate. Right. I have a plan for this, and here is what candidates should be talking about. Right. And that's what you're, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that, that, that some people are going to start to latch on to that. Right. And I, and John was saying this, my husband, you know, if they take over the Senate and the house, then if Trump gets reelected, knock on wood, hopefully he won't, then he's not going to be able to really accomplish anything anyway. So I, I agree that they do need to have uh, a plan as far as that is concerned. Yeah. I, I think someone that's strong about their plan, their agenda, <clears throat> whatever you want to call it, the, the, the connotation uh, exists because <laughs> Again, people come in with you know a plan, and there's some other underlying agenda and that right, just becomes right. what actually happens. So if 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 we had one president that came up and said, "I'm going to do this," and then they actually did that, <laughs> damn, okay, 
that finally, because I, and I've asked this several times to you, Drexel, before about how many pieces of legislation have we ever seen passed that solely helped people? And they actually brought it up a couple times and they talked about corporate kickbacks, stuff not helping the people. We have not seen that yet. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'm saying. Like we hear all this talk about tax reform, healthcare, Immigration reform, criminal immigration. justice reform. We hear all yeah. these same topics brought yeah. over and over and over again. And there's not ever a change because I just don't feel there's anything there for us. It's always something around that's connected to some kind of corporate kickback. And that's why we have lobbyists out there all the time trying to get stuff because it's not really about us. Mm -hmm. So if I had someone come out and say, look, I'm not, I don't care about any of this. I wish someone was up there was just talking real. Like, I, I honestly don't care about that. I'm here to do this, this, and that. And it was just Carmel, just talking mm -hmm. about me, mm -hmm. Drexel, Melinda, just stuff I need to have happen. Mm -hmm. That would blow me away. It's not going to happen because the structure we have dictates you can't do that and win. But here's so, the thing. So uh, politics is not my world. The law is not my world. I'm married to a husband. I've I've married to a lawyer. I, I've I've seen like one paragraph of legal writing, and I'm like, I don't want to read this ever again. <laughs> so are we? In you saying that though, it sounds like you're, it's you're making it easier said than done. You know what I mean? Like I don't think we realize how hard it is to put something into law and to create reform. For oh no, I things. know it's complicated. You know, and I know it's hard, and I think that's part of the issue. But on top of that, I think there's things that we don't talk about or we just don't care anymore because there's not going to be a change that really helps me. Because I don't have billions of dollars to go out and ask, hey, can you help me get a job? Sure. And I think that you know, part of the other thing that I always remind people is that the things that affect people the most are not the laws that are written in Washington, D.C. They're mm -hmm. the laws that are written here in Los Angeles. Yeah. Um, and here in California, you know, the governor, Governor Newsom here in California just uh, um, got his, like, $2 billion, $25 billion budget passed uh, this week. And L.A. Times put out a whole thing that showed the breakdown mm -hmm. of where a lot of that money was going to. Uh, you know, at least $17 billion of that money is going to uh, deal with homelessness in the state of California um, as we have 200,000 plus kids uh, on the streets of, of, of California. Um, and we've seen an 8% increase in uh, homelessness yep. over the past two years. Yep. So I think that those we, we have, we, if folks start to look at their states and their local uh, politicians um, and getting involved in in those areas, um, people would, again, people put so much faith in Washington and put less faith in what's right here in their backyard. People need to people pay attention put to more, this. Like, go back to what I said was, people put more faith in the United States military than they do in their own backyard in terms of those people that are actually keeping them safe on the streets mm -hmm. at, around the corner from them. Right. And so I think that if people start to shift their mindset to realize that politics is local, that um, uh, safety is local, that schools are local, that libraries are local, mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. everybody in your community has a stake in each other, then that is that is the mindset. That, and then let Washington do their job to kind of navigate the overall guidelines of that. Like the educate, the Department of Education is a, puts out a, a series of guidelines and that, that schools are required to follow. How they get to that point is up to the school mm -hmm. district and up to the state and up to those things. You know, every state, not every state, but there's a lot of states out there who require their students to learn about state's history. You know, that, that things are hyper-targeted to those specific people and then on down through the district and, and through the counties. 
And so we've got to, you know, I always tell people, yeah, if you're a Republican or Democrat, join your local clubs, join your local organizations, get on your state party, um, uh, your state party, uh, inform- you know, there's a lot of things that you can be doing to feel like you're engaged. And, and then, you know, here in California with the California Democratic Party, we actually help dictate a lot of what our assembly people do, what our local politicians do mm-hmm. um, in terms of what things that we endorse. And then on down to the clubs. Like I'm here, I'm a member of Stonewall Democratic Club here in Los Angeles. It is the largest, if not the only, uh, LGBT organization, uh, Democratic organization in the almost the state. Mm-hmm. And so we know that politicians look at Stonewall and say, what is Stonewall going to do? Where do they lie mm-hmm. in terms of their in terms of their support? Uh, and then we kick back to that and say, yep, ah, that's not, or we'll call them out and we'll do that kind of stuff. You know, so I think it is there is an opportunity there for everybody to shift their mindset mm-hmm. to remember that Washington does not always represent local communities. For sure. But for those people, like I'm going to say you, mm-hmm. <laughs> Carmel, mm-hmm. but there's certain mm-hmm. people like when you say that number of, he got a $17 billion budget passed, right? But I, I know for a fact that $3.5 billion in Los Angeles is going towards, or sorry, $17 billion is going towards homeless, you said, homeless cleanup. And I know for a fact that $3.5 billion in Los Angeles is going towards building new jails. To me, I'm like, well, what is that? $215 billion. That's what, the, that's okay. the governor's oh, budget. Wow. Wow. His whole overall budget. Overall okay, budget. and so seventeen million billion is going towards homelessness. Correct. What does that mean? Because every time I've heard, you know, Mayor Eric Garcetti talk or other people talk about homelessness, they say this money's going towards homelessness. But what does that mean? Are sure. you building? So, are you building new places? Are you, are you just doing cleanups? Because I've seen a million homeless sure. cleanups, and that that makes me sick so to my stomach. The, so in in th- in theory, and I'm only talking about Governor Newsom's budget, mm-hmm. the state will say we've earmarked seventeen billion dollars to fight homelessness. Mm-hmm. We have fifty or hundred, however many counties in the state of California. We are now going to allocate that money to each county, and it is up to them to decide how that money is is um, is distributed. That's what I have a problem and, with. And, 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 and there are mm-hmm. some counties who will use that money properly, and there are some counties who um, will miss... Uh, misappropriate that money yeah. and use it for, for you. It, it, you know, it's the state's money mm-hmm. in terms of the taxes that we pay here mm-hmm. in California and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So that money has to be allocated, but you know, it, it, it can't, but what I'm hoping is that the governor knows that once you start allocating that money, counties have to follow a strict set of guidelines mm-hmm. in and how they appropriate the money, which I do believe that that is a thing, mm-hmm. but that money goes directly into the counties. Mm-hmm. Um, here in Los Angeles, we, we have a crisis a of a homelessness crisis. It's massive. Uh, and you know, listen, Eric Garcetti, great. He has every plan that I've seen in terms of fighting homelessness can never catch up to what's going on. It right, is, it's like it is, right when you is, get up to it, there's more homeless There's people. just I get more it. going I get on, yeah, and yeah. It, he's trying to fight an endless cycle, mm-hmm. uh, an endless battle. So, um, you know, but but at the same time, as long as people realize what's going on around them, I, I think they'd feel th- that, it, like, what we see nationally is not necessarily what's happening in, in every county. Right. So, because right. when you brought that up, and... It, if people understood really how the whole system was structured, I think they would be blown away. Because when you talk about, you know, uh, Washington and D.C. and versus the local and what's happening here, I don't think people even realize how the company 
that is uh, America is structured. I don't think people understand how how convoluted uh, this government and corporations and how it works and all that. Like, like even in the, the Declaration of Independence, United is not capitalized. I don't people know what that means, but it's it's a it's an adjective for the states of America. So your state is what you're really allegiance. You pledge allegiance to the state. Like D.C. is its own thing. It's a it's a corporation. I don't think we understand how many what the difference is, the government, and FDIC, IRS, there are so many corporate factors in this. You're not pledging allegiance to uh, this country and this flag and all that. You're a part of the state. Like, if you ask someone what the word national means, mm -hmm. if I said, like, you're a nationalist, what does mm -hmm. that mean to you? You think the nation. Mm -hmm. A nationalist is someone who pledges allegiance to your state that you're born in. Well, nationalists also have, like, <laughs> now that's, that's written, that's view. written, uh, I figure with code uh, 8 USC 1101, I just looked it up not too long ago, but it's actually written in there that that's who you were pledging your allegiance to your state when you're called a national. People, no one would know that. People have no idea how many things are written and constructed that set up corporations that you think are government agencies. It's, it's just like you go to court to pay a bill and you have this GC services thing, like, what the hell is that? It's a company that's funded and, and set up by the court system to take your money. It's mm -hmm. not an actual court system. It's not an actual government-run agency. It's someone that the, uh, the state or city put there to take your money. So when I hear people talk about, like, you know, well, the nation's doing that and the country's doing this, you don't know what you're talking about. There's so many systems in place, so many things since the, the, the creation of this country that set up you to lose because you don't know how to play the game. So that's the problem I have. I always push people voting for local, city, and state things because that's the real allegiance you have here. It's not to the District of Columbia. People have no idea that that's a, that's a corporation. It's even funny last night they're talking about we need to deconsolidate all these large corporations, Facebook and Amazon. You live in one. You live in a corporation. You're not going to deconsolidate the District of Columbia. There's no one going to start doing that. We don't, let's not even have that conversation. So when we start talking about things we need to do on, on, on this level and that level, you have to start from the beginning. I would think you have to start with the actual thing you're talking about because if the structure you're in is also creating the same things you're talking about, it's because you're doing the same thing. Do you vote nationally? No. You don't? No. But you vote locally? Yes. You've Sometimes. never voted for president? Uh, I think the last time I voted was, what was that, W? Yeah. You didn't even vote during Obama era? No. Interesting. No. Wow. Because you know, it doesn't you mean know our ancestors died for our right to vote. That though. was on them. Carmel. I didn't tell you to do that. Oh my word. We have really have I, to disagree I, look, on I that. I appreciate what they did in order to get us that ability to do that, but it doesn't do anything. But it's not the point. It's the it's the privilege that we now have. I to have be the able privilege to, to do, do it or not do it. But don't you think you I'm should be honoring your ancestors church. I don't do believe that? everything I was taught in church. Right, but, don't, right? but people, people didn't die for your right to go yes, to church. Yes, they did. To go to church? Yes. There were there was slaves who were killed because they didn't take on the Bible. So they did. Now I have to read the Bible now. Southern Baptists and all that, if you didn't take on the Bible and what this white man was telling you to believe, you got killed. Valid point. Okay, Valid so I'm point. saying there's things I understand what my ancestors went through to get us to where we're at. But it doesn't mean the stuff that we're doing is okay. Doesn't mean but it's I just right. think when it comes to voting, like that's the sole thing that you can do to try to make a difference. No. Because I think if you that's one thing I it's can do. It's ceremonial. It, well, it's, it's, I shouldn't it's say sole. It's one thing that you can do to try to make a difference. But if you're it's not one even thing exercising I can do, no. your right it's to one vote, thing I then you do don't have right to complain about the it. One, I don't complain about it. That's another thing. I don't complain about it. But I'm saying it's not the one thing I can do. It's the one thing I can show that I'm doing. It's like boycotting. I hate people who march and oh I'm doing this. It doesn't do anything. 
I I disagree with that, but that's I, I hold think, on, hold on. You can disagree with it, but literally not doing something is not doing something. What so I, what I, I mean wanna, to say if I want to affect change, I need to actually do something. What, what I mean to say is boy, boycotting has and protesting certainly has yielded its results for years. It's, it's really yeah. it's um, yielded results for me seeing something that happens. If it's if it's creating me to get excited to do something or not do something, I understand that. But did boycotting actually force someone in 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 government or or some situation where someone was a was an oligarchy where some, someone's making thousands of millions of dollars and oh this black man's marching I feel bad now let me stop taking money from him. So you don't think no, that, that the marches the MLK led meant anything? It was great to see, and I'm saying if it's creating a uh, uh, a passion in someone else to now do something, cool. But at some point, yes, you've got to do yes, something. Yes, but those those pro, those boycotts and those protests certainly uh, force politicians to to push legislation. Wait, so you saying a boycott forced a politician to do something? They always they they, they directly. Yes. Yes. No. Yes. That, that was the, almost the entirety no, no. of civil rights a legislation. Boycott, okay, a boycott <laughs> does not force someone to do anything. It, it, yes, because it puts pressure it puts on them pressure because it's on bringing to something to okay. light. Yes. No, it doesn't. Okay, if if. Anyone who goes out and marches, I don't care if it's a million people, and that the, the boycott march is done, and I don't care what legislation is happening up there, there is no one in that building now going to do something because people marched. It's solely because someone's telling them to do something. Something needs to happen from someone else. Someone else needs to come in and say, okay, this is not working because this is happening. Not just because someone's marching. It's not a direct result. Indirectly, yes, it's not a direct result. Boycotts are designed to put pressure on somebody so that they can, so that they're certainly in in, in politician world, um, so that their people around them can say, "No, you actually have to do this." Okay, see, so you um, just said, you just said now someone around he, you has right. to tell you to do what something. I, what I'm saying, what, what I'm, I'm saying, saying is, hold on, let me say, you just said someone around them has to tell this person now to course. do something. Now, my question is, politics is team. Hold on, team, my team question sport. is, who are they? Again, the they. Who is this person that now is telling this person to do something? Sure, there's, there's plenty of advisors out there, and again, but who's the advisor? Chiefs of staff. Who put them? Political there? advisors. The politicians. There's people, there's the people, politicians. There's people who put, put there. people in positions that I didn't vote for. Yes. Right. But again, and Hold I on, say let me this. Finish. Let me get this out. I, I, I hear there's what you're some, saying. No, I know you're, where not, you're, you're going. not hearing what I'm saying. Okay. You're, someone is put in place yes. that I didn't vote for. Now he's telling this person that I did vote for to do something. They How are, do I affect that? They are advising them. To Advice. make the right decision based on the pressure that their office is getting, and then there's on the politician to end to who who if they're a good manager like any manager to listen uh, to, to the listen people. to yeah. the advice and then be be the one to make the decision. Uh, those are good politicians. Those are good advisors. Barack Obama talks about it all the time. How he had some a lot of great advisors. He may disagree with Hillary Clinton on foreign policy, but at the end of the day, the buck stops with the person at the top and it's their decision. So I think that, listen, you can have a lot of advisors that are unelected, uh, but at the end of the day, the buck stops with the elected official. And then if they go against, and we talk about here in Los Angeles and here in California a lot, if they are going against the will, the wishes of those people, um, you can primary them. Mm-hmm. You can you can run against them, and then those people have advisors that have to be listened to. Um, can't space. Same thing with campaigns. A campaign is a contact sport, and we saw that on the debate stage as well. D- d- uh, politicians go through a ton of debate prep. 
that they have to listen to. Everything that they say on stage, every comment that they make has already been filtered mm-hmm. through their whole team. Scripted. They know everything, everything they know based on everything that they've heard. And that's why I brought up the Beto thing at the beginning, because I'm like, for somebody who has gone around and said, I've done this around the country to not have a solid set of plans mm-hmm. um, that they've taken back from that, that just shows to me. And, and you could see it in Beto's um, initial remarks when he first started running, which he was like, I know that I have the privilege to run. Mm-hmm. Not the privilege to run because he's an American and Americans can run, but because he was a white guy throwing himself into this into this mix of people without any sort of record or any sort of policy plans, and he knew that he could do it. So I, I think that you know, as we, what we'll start to see is that you know, like any job or like any boss, there are people around who are advising them to make these things. A publicist mm-hmm. will always move and shake somebody. Mm-hmm. If you're not listening to them, you're going to go down. A manager, you're going to go down if you're not making the right. decision. So, right. But at the end of the day, it's the person who's on camera. It is the person who's in the front of the people. It is the person who is making the music. It is, the, it is not on Melinda's publicist to get right. Melinda out there. If Melinda doesn't want to do it, then that's on her. Mm-hmm. It's not going to help her out. Mm-hmm. If the chief of staff to the U- president of the United States is saying X, Y, and Z, and the president doesn't listen, but we all knew it was a good idea. That's on the president of the United States, not on the advisor. Advisors are not. Listen, we always, we everybody knows that the chief of staff to the president of the United States is the second most powerful person mm-hmm. in the country. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just a given. They are the hundred and first senator. They are the mover and shaker. They are the ones that pretty much controls Washington altogether. Um, that is something that we know to be the, mm-hmm. to be true. Um, but again, the buck stops with the president, the chief, the, the speaker of the house, all those people. And that is something that is built, not not just built into the American government system, that is built into everything that mm-hmm. we do. Mm-hmm. So, as you said, the buck stops. Well, I mean, I'm just using that as, as, but it's, as, it's, as a phrase. You, don't, it, you can use it as a phrase, but it's the truth. I'm not talking about the dollar, though. But, it, <laughs> but I am. But I am. I'm not talking about the dollar. 100%. Should I rephrase that and say no, the, don't rephrase the it end because that, result? I'm because just using the phrase is, that what people... What I'm saying is the thought behind what you're saying is the prevailing thought that we all see and feel. It's all based around money. So I don't care how much someone votes or wants something. If I don't have the money to make a move, it's not going to happen. Like even this whole talk about Big Pharma and healthcare and all that. And then I think um, Gillibrand said, she said something about, I, I want them to compete. I want, I want these big insurance companies to compete and get out there. And she says, but I don't think they're ever going to put people in front of their profit. Of it's course, never going right. to happen. But we know that. Okay, and, uh, so we know that. So, we so know what that. are we really trying to fight against? Sure, really but I also happen? think that, that this has been a conversation that we have not had. Like now things are being put into the forefront like, you know, since 2016. And, you know, I give Bernie Sanders credit for for, for making that a narrative that people need to start talking about, mm-hmm. um, which we never had to talk about before because people really did not know what was going on around them. But now we are putting that at the forefront of the narrative since Citizens United, um, since the, the Supreme Court decision on Citizens United. And, and Democrats have been talking about uh, overturning Citizens United as soon as that because we knew what the, what the end result would be. Uh, and how that would affect everybody else, whether or not that would have benefited Democrats in general. But we knew that opening that can of worms would have been the problem. So it's been the narrative that we've been talking. And now it has been amplified since then. And as people start to run, you know, you've seen 
a lot of candidates um, say that they're not going to take money from big corporations through this this campaign cycle. Now, how that translates into the general election is going to be a little bit different when the president <laughs> raised twenty five million dollars um, since he started reelection on day one. Mm. You know, and that's something that we have to compete against as Democrats across the board, not only uh, in that bucket that's going into the presidential, but in what the uh, Republican Party uh, or the, the the GOP has also raised. Um, to fight uh, um, these Senate campaigns and and everybody that's up for re-election in the House of Representatives. So, you know, they're like Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, up for re-election. Mm-hmm. Here in the 25th District of, uh, of California, Katie Hill, up for re-election. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, Alana Presley, up for re-election. Like, these folks are up for re-election because they had to campaign from day one because that's how the system is built, right? Right. So, um, but we cannot compete against $25 million dollars Hundred million dollars, one billion dollars. That was the last election cycle. Um, if we start, you know, if if we don't have people engaged and and certainly giving money, every time I get a call from the DNC or the DSCC, I literally tell them on the phone. I was like, I have a lot of local races that I have to focus on here in California, um, so I'll be giving money directly to those candidates mm-hmm. uh, and not necessarily the the arm, because like, while you guys might be doing great work, I have to focus on the races that are here in California. Um, and I have to focus on the other races, you know, I, I, when I post about other races in May, like they've Susan Collins has a two democratic primary, um, opponents right now that just announced two, two women. And one of them is the speaker of the main house of representatives. And I said, you know, I'm not going to tell people throw your money at this person. Mm -hmm. I am going to say, if you know somebody in Maine, make sure that they know that there's a democratic challenger in Maine. It's not my job to throw money at Maine. Like right. everybody threw money at Beto in Texas. Like everybody threw money at John Ossoff in 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 um, uh, in Georgia. Let corporations throw their money at John Ossoff. Let you know, and then let the folks of Georgia and and Texas and, and Maine, you know, throw their you know put their money where their mouth is if they want different representation. That's on them. Mm-hmm. But here in California. We have a supermajority of Democrats. We're doing exactly what uh, you know. California is the blue beacon of. Democratic policy, right. and we're making those changes, uh, whether or not some people see it or not. But uh, you know, and some people certainly don't like it across the country. But this is what this is this is what we voted in. This is what we have asked the governor to do, uh, and he's doing it. And that's what the ga- the name of the game is. Mm-hmm. You, you vote for your own folks, right? Um, so before we move on to talking a little bit more about the debates, I do want to follow up with you, Carmel, because mm. uh, I love that we do have differing opinions on this. But um, as far as like voting nationally, is president the only thing you don't vote for? Or you just don't vote for anything nationally? Yeah, because I mean, when we say national, we're talking about the District of Columbia, which mm-hmm. was consolidated in 1871. It's a corporation. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about an actual Government or I have the state. I'm mm-hmm. a part, I'm a I'm a Californian, mm-hmm. so I'm a part of this state. So those things that actually affect me, I can actually change. Mm-hmm. Um, like back in we had the big bank bailout was it 2008, whenever that was. Mm-hmm. Like the government gave money to banks when the government already federally insured those banks. So why are you giving money to people who already had those loans mm-hmm. insured? Because it's a part of a system that I'm not a part of. Right. I didn't get any money for that. I, people I know lost their houses, lost all kinds, because they were default on loans to those very banks. So why didn't those people get money to then pay off those loans? Because the banks still would have got the money. Mm-hmm. 
That's what I'm talking about. I, I have like, no, I have no way of affecting that because that's a system I'm not a part of. I feel like Andrew Yang would be your candidate <laughs> with his well, listen, freedom and dividend. With, <laughs> and with Andrew Yang, that was an unfortunate situation. I, I know. know. If I, te- I, I don't know if I texted you, but I, you know, I, Andrew Yang has. First of all, he is a billionaire with nothing to do. <laughs> And <laughs> but he be. still deserved a right to talk. And Good sure, to and sure, and he ra- he got his he got sixty thousand unique yeah. donors. He yeah, got yeah. The, he's yeah. polling, and he's he do, he did that with the idea that he was going to be the candidate to talk about universal basic income. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening was when he was asked directly about his universal basic income plan and how it would be funded uh, and how it would work, his answer was so inadequate. That I was like, how is that the one issue that you have that been touting around, on. that you're yep. running on, that you're touting, and you have not come up with a an answer? That I was interested to know how this. Was I was waiting work. on him. Do to, you know about? Do you know what I've heard it is? About it, yeah. yeah. So it's basically and give a thousand dollars to what there was a to every household. To every household. It's like every mm-hmm. month. Every or month, like so you get twelve thousand dollars, basically a free income to kind of help people. To his whole thing mm-hmm. was to bridge the wealth gap, right. but yeah. it's like, how are you going to do this? Right. And he couldn't give a distinct answer. And yeah, I was and it was really like hiding it, and I was like, what? "That's all you've been talking about, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, that's all you know, and you don't have an answer that would really push you over the top, right. and, and get re- people but, interested." But we know in he's, this guy; he's not a politician, so but, he's, he's, he's sure. But he's a, but he's a businessman. With, yeah, but sure. the plan, and if you are a successful business person, that means at some point you would have had a plan that you would mm-hmm. put together something mm-hmm. for people that is tangible for people to see, <laughs> and that's the case for him not to have been like. Here are my three. Here are the three basic. If you're not to have a three point plan, basically, um, that's up there that he rehearsed a hundred times, and that he he'd been talking that. about, and he didn't have, and that. he just didn't have the he basics didn't. He didn't. of he didn't. his plan. And I'm like, even Marianne Wilsonson had a plan, and that's been <laughs> she was on my. That fight has Trump been, with love. And that has been my problem with Bernie Sanders since day one, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, and 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 you saw it again um, on on third on Wednesday night, which was for four years or for two years you ran. Mm-hmm. For four years, he had the opportunity to redefine and repackage your plans. Mm-hmm. And then what we saw on Wednesday night was a person who regurgitated the things that he said three years before that was not that was not repackaged, mm-hmm. that was not new, and that would not be able to sell how things would work. However, that is why his supporters still support him, because he has remained consistent. Whether I agree with it or not... Is, consistency is one thing. I want you to be able to expand on your consistency and say, I listened to what people were right. saying. I understand the criticism that I don't have um, plans, that, that I don't have a, a, an adequate way to convey why I how I think this is going to work, mm-hmm. how I how I plan on paying for X, Y, and Z, because that's what people want to hear. Mm-hmm. That you have a, you might have a roadmap, but you're going to be the one driving, mm-hmm. and I need you to be able to be able to switch gears whenever we need it. Right. And Bernie Sanders has not been able to fully explain anything mm-hmm. without talking in hyperbole. <laughs> so you see, a lot of what this is is, if a person has a plan that they can articulate well, then I might vote for you. So you, Carmel, would actually vote for them? If they could... Art- no, I'm saying that doesn't matter to me. Like, Because you're articulate. I mean, Obama, of course, is one of the most uh, articulate presidents, if not the most articulate ever. So we have mm-hmm. a standard where we have to look at him and say, okay, this guy said it, he sounded great, great. But I'm talking about execution. Like, how... Why do I need to get up and excited for someone just because they can speak well? Or they like Andrew Yang? Okay, yeah, he should have been more prepared to give an answer for the one thing you've been talking about. But he's a businessman, so mm-hmm. I'm sure he didn't probably go into 
uh, every business meeting rehearsing things over because he just lives and breathes it. That's his thing. Mm -hmm. This is politics. So, yeah, he came up with this plan. Who knows when, how long he's been, who knows how long he actually decided to run for president. So I'm saying is, yeah, he didn't articulate it well. And there are some people who will articulate well. That's what we're basing our vote on. Well, yeah, because you want to understand what the heck they're talking I about. I get that. I and understand you that. Have to, I'm sorry, but like when Obama spoke, I understood every single thing he said. When Trump speaks, my head hurts. Right. So there, can, I, okay, you can so see I, that. The thing is, how did he get in then? By exactly what Marianne Williamson said, not without having a plan, by simply saying, make America great again. Sure. And, because and, he pandered and, to those and types here's of the thing. people. And, and Donald Trump, you know, and we talk about this a lot. And listen, the Supreme Court, um, let me rephrase that. Uh, Americans uh, <laughs> got a, um, a a little bit of a reprieve when the Supreme Court voted on gerrymandering last week, which mm -hmm. has been the mm -hmm. bane of um, um, mostly Democrats. Uh, um, uh, so anyway, um, but what happened with Donald Trump was that, and he said it the other day uh, in an interview, I think with George Stephanopoulos, which was, he basically gave the game away, which was he said Hillary Clinton didn't go into the states that she could win the electoral college. I did. I went there and I knew exactly where I needed to be. Hillary Clinton was like, "I'm going to be president for everybody, so I'm going to go into all these states and I'm going to visit, you know, when I need to, and I'm not going to play the electoral map game because the electoral because if I believe that people are on the right side, I'm not going to have to be there very long, and I'm just going to have to show up maybe a couple times and move on. And, and Donald Trump just doesn't make sense. Donald Trump spent time in Michigan and Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and Wisconsin and Ohio and those, and those three states, and those are the only states that he had to win. Donald Trump didn't have to come to California. He may have come twice, even though we have, you know, five, billion, five, five million more people than, uh, in our state than, right. than anything. Uh, and he, he didn't have to do that. So the system was in, the electoral college system was in, his favor, uh, and that's what ended up happening. Well, that's the first that's thing how that he needs got, to go and to that's me. How he, that's how he got elected. He certainly didn't get elected by popular vote. However, what we are seeing is states say that if you win the popular vote, you get the state's electoral um, uh, uh, um, electoral uh, numbers. That's so what needs to happen. That, that's certainly the thing that needs to happen over the next... Uh, I just don't understand the, the point of having electoral, electoral college. Like, it was designed to not have a state like California decide what the election was for be. sure for in, sure in but it's, right. it's antiquated and it needs to go because as, if as we vote for so somebody that is to. who needs to be president right. so many of these systems Hillary think, should be but, president right. right now but i also <laughs> think that those to go back to what we were saying before nobody understands anything mm -hmm. i think as people start to get certain systems mm -hmm. people are like why is it like that right and do and how do we change that you know for example i just sat in a meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago or earlier this week where we were arguing about the bylaws um of an organization and i said uh, and, and a lot of us were like you know somebody said well this is the way it's been interpreted for 30 years but the rest of us were like well gonna have to change that mm -hmm. because 30 years is not 2019 right so right. those are the things as people start to because we we exposed the problems of the system and as we start to expose the problems of the system, people start to look at it a little bit differently and go, well, we got to change that. Mm -hmm. The Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is calling out certain things and, and actually saying it on C-SPAN, which we, we, we normally do not see from politicians, right? Mm -hmm. the, the Katie Porters who can say, I wrote a whole book on the tax system. And you're trying to tell me how this how this works? Well, I can tell you because my book is right here, right? right? Like those are the people that are out there saying that kind of stuff. And uh, so I think the more that we start to educate people on how things work, and this is why we every time we talk about a system that I'm like, well, this is how it actually works. Like I, I want people to know how it works, mm -hmm. as opposed as opposed to being like, well, this is what they said. 
I don't like, I don't agree that certain systems are right. I'm just saying this is the system. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, what you do with that information, you can either help change it, you can run for office, you can get you can get involved. But if you just let the system continue doing what it's doing after you know what it's like, well, then that's on you. Right. And see, that's that's where I play. It's like I know the system. I understand where it sits. I'm just willing to play the game versus fighting it because it doesn't make sense to me. Like, you know, this is a big thing about how Amazon made, you know, $100 billion, whatever, and didn't pay any taxes. No taxes, yeah. Why should they? Why, why should Amazon pay taxes? Yeah, why should they pay taxes? Well, look, I think that when you've got – if there's a way for us to pay for certain things, certain social programs – um, and we put a tax on corporations and certainly not the people, not, not the, um, you know, there's a way to, I think that, you know, and Joe Biden talked about it last week, which got him into trouble where he said, you know, the, the tax system under me would not necessarily change for certain people, certain individuals and families, um, that way. And, but the other side of that is if he would have said, however, we will still tax heavily corporations, um, across the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, then that's one thing because the corporations so are there, making the profit. So there's what I'm saying. So there is what I'm talking about because you have a feeling about what you think should happen. Joe Biden is saying, here's what we would do to those corporations. I'm not saying that's what he said. I'm saying that the the idea is that this should be the way that it works. It should mm-hmm. be. Right. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is uh, Jeff Bezos and Amazon isn't doing anything wrong. There is no federal law that they oh, have to not. pay taxes. No. Right? We believe that there is. We think, oh, the IRS, it's, which also is a private entity, uh, uh, Federal uh, Reserve private entity ran by 13 families and a bunch of banks. People don't know that. Right. But the, but so the Constitution – when people, the, the people don't know those things. The so Constitution, people knew those things, that would create change. The, the Constitution does talk about taxes in a way that Congress can obviously levy taxes on people, right? Mm-hmm. And then years ago, the, the Supreme Court said that corporations are people. They can do that. So to me – it makes sense for me to be like, well, if corporations are people, they can pay taxes like people. Mm-hmm. Because that's really, because if Amazon as a company can pay taxes and they can help influence an election, this is hypothetical, I'm not saying that Amazon right. has done this, <laughs> um, then they should be paying taxes just like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. I'm sure Jeff Bezos and several billions of people who make tons of money know the law and are able to walk freely and not pay taxes because they understand you have to be contracted under a certain entity to now be uh, under that jurisdiction. Yeah, and I think that those people are certainly tax tax evaders, um, and certainly that will catch up to them. Look, we could have this conversation for forever, but I don't even know if I have enough megabytes to upload this episode. But anyway, <laughs> but but we're going to continue with a few things before we get to the end. But I do want to uh, talk, talk a little about bit about... Yeah, look, that's what we're supposed to be talking about. <laughs> and we've just been talking about politics, but this is good. So this is a politics episode as a whole. But going back to the debate and going back to the candidates that we do have to choose from. Um, who did you guys feel had strong moments in both nights and who do you think is completely did not do themselves any favors? For me, the first night it was definitely Julian Castro, Elizabeth Warren, and Cory Booker. The second night, clearly Kamala Harris. Um, I don't think Joe Biden and Bernie did themselves any favors, to no. be honest. And Pete Buttigieg really did, uh, did surprise me. He really did surprise me. I think so. as a whole... Um, <clears throat> Elizabeth Warren. I actually liked uh, De Blasio. I actually liked some of the things he said. I did too. I did too. Um, he felt genuine. He felt like a homie. Right. Exactly. <laughs> he's a New Yorker. Yeah, he felt he like felt a homie like though. Okay, yeah, like he's dude. an honorable mention for me for yeah, sure. For yeah, sure. Yeah, those yeah. two. Um, I, you know, I ride Elizabeth Warren 
the Elizabeth Warren train yeah. pretty yeah. pretty hard. Um, that's night one. Julian Castro should have been the 2016 vice presidential nominee with Hillary Clinton. Mm-hmm. I will say that mm-hmm. every day. Um, and we saw why on that stage. Today, well, no one days. knew who Tim Kane was, but that's... Well, well, yeah, but Julian <laughs> Castro was a favorite yeah. Even yeah. back then, and I don't know, you know, choosing a vice presidential nominee is is hard to begin with. So I yeah. don't know at what point during the vetting process, the Clinton campaign said, oh, I don't know if Julian's going to be able to work out. So obviously right. something fell apart. Um, in night two, Kamala Harris, obviously. Um, I think I, I understand the interest in Pete Buttigieg mm-hmm. um, from a historical standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um I, he doesn't have a large set of plans that he's interested that, I mean, that, that he's kind of put forth. He has a little bit of time to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it certainly was not something to come, come out to the gate because, you know, for him to say something about, for example, um, on the police shooting in South Bend, um, for him to be like, I just couldn't get it done mm-hmm. without backing it up with, I couldn't get it done, but here are the things that I would have done differently. Um, mm-hmm. That's certainly something that he sh- he should have been prepared for. He should have had been, a follow-up. Should be able to answer that <clears throat> portion because that would have showed me that you not only took the time over the last few weeks to learn about it. Mm-hmm. Here's the things that you plan on implementing, not only in South Bend, but that you think you can carry nationally, and that would open up a larger conversation about police forces in America. And then you can take, then you could tap into that for and sure. Then expand on that, and that would show mm-hmm. me that you. Can but be I president. but I will say I appreciated his honesty in that moment yeah. because there are so many politicians that would have just you know, come forward with the BS about Mm -hmm. what didn't happen or we tried to do this, but he was simply like, look, I couldn't get it done. And that to me, I was like, I love that honesty because politicians just lie, you know? And I, I mean, I appreciate it. So me, sometimes I like it when you look like you don't have it together. Like I like if you feel more human, human. but but, but the answer. And again, like I said, everything is always really, I'm sure it was, it was an honest answer, but I'm sure it was an answer that he had already decided that he was going to say when it came up. Right. Um, which was, what could you not get done? Mm hmm. Because I still don't know what that meant. Mm-hmm. Listening mm-hmm. to it, I'm like, I don't know what you couldn't get done. Right. Was it a policy that right. you couldn't get done? Was it the fact Better that police training, police or training something? that yeah. you couldn't get? Like, yeah. what could you not get done? I do want to hear yes, more. Yes, yes. Again, you know, the 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 the, the wall, <laughs> the buck stops with the mayor. Um, however, you need to explain what you cannot get done because mm-hmm. that does not make sense to anybody. Saying that, and I get that that was the soundbite that he that he said and that people latched on to, mm-hmm. but if you actually think about it, you're like, I, I don't know what you actually said. Right, right. I get you. I get you. So uh, moving forward, uh, what are we hoping to hear from these candidates in the second uh, round of debates? Less Spanish. <laughs> Please leave uh, the Spanish alone. Don't you want to learn another language? I know Spanish. This is funny. I speak <laughs> I Spanish. I do too. I do too. So I'm, like, yeah, I'm hearing that. Like, You're like, why? Okay. Oh my like, wow. God. He couldn't even conjugate that verb on the stage. Right? Oh my Necesitos oh my is God. not something that we use all the time. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's, that's, oh my gosh. Uh, um, oh my I, I think I want to hear more. Um, I guess more more plans of execution, not just bringing up the actual topic of what it is, but like. And you said this, like, what were you actually going to do about this or that? Like, because at, at, at nauseum, it's just so much about listing every single issue again. I keep hearing it listed over and over. Okay, you listed so many times. Can you? I, I'd rather have someone stick to one and then speak at length about that and give some, <clears throat> delineate some steps towards actual reform in those different areas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I would like to see less people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, I'm really hoping that that number gets cut in half on the debate stage. So it's just ten total. So it's just ten total. Yeah. Um, 
I think that we certainly need to hear, like I said, a lot more plans. Mm -hmm. I think the questions certainly need to be um, tailored to a few more things like climate change. Um, They certainly need to talk a little bit more about what's happening um, on our southern border uh, in Puerto Rico, Mm -hmm. why people are coming up to America, what the the global plan is for folks uh, who are fleeing places like Honduras, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. um, how, you know, what our plan is um, to deal, like everybody, the hard part is going to be dealing with the Middle East. Um, Certainly North Korea is going to come up in terms of stockpiles, but there are certain things that we have done over the past few years that we put in place that the Trump administration has just reversed and that's why we're in the shit that we're in right now mm-hmm. and it's just making sure that those systems uh, and those protections go back into place um, and you know we can talk about race all day um, you know Donald Trump didn't even know what busing was yesterday I don't know if you guys saw that clip but I'm he, not surprised. he literally said well that's typically the primary way that people get to school that's what he said mm. with so you thought she was just complaining about being on a bus? Yes. <laughs> wow. So I he mean, was like, who is this bougie ass black woman? Said it, <laughs> she mad said about it, a bus. I mean, it wasn't even like it was in print. It was on oh camera. Oh my god! At the G twenty this weekend. So that doesn't surprise me. Uh, you know. see, the, the the problem with that is he's not alone. Right. Oh, for sure. Yeah, people totally don't know. Not alone. People, people are idiots. Yeah. Um, he's, yeah. Yeah. And, and he's the biggest one. So and his it, supporters follow. Right. So I think that there are different things that we we need to hear a little bit more of. <laughs> I would like to see, and I was talking to somebody who actually um, who ran Kamala's Senate campaign mm-hmm. um, yesterday, and I said, uh, what do you think is going to happen next? And he's like, I think she's going to dig in on Joe Biden a little bit more. Um, and we've seen the polling do that. You know, Joe Biden was knocked down 10 points. Yeah. Um, he didn't do himself any favors. It, 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 he really just didn't. in a couple of days, uh, it's moved Kamala up a little bit. Um, it's moved Bernie up a little bit. It's moved Elizabeth up a little bit. Um, so, but we, I don't think that we're going to see the effects of last week's debate for another week, mm-hmm. uh, as candidates start to do that. Cause Joe Biden, listen, Joe Biden was, is not going down without a fight on black voters. He was at Rainbow Push the next day talking about it. The Rainbow yeah, Push and he the didn't next do day. himself any favors there either. I, I don't know that. Here's the problem with Joe Biden. I don't know that reading the headlines, like listening to him, like I understood everything that he was saying. For sure. And it made sense. I was like, well, yeah. I mean, what you're saying about, you know, somebody being a Nobel laureate versus, be, you know, in a hoodie, being a gangbanger. Gang no, like, I got what he was saying. Like, but and for then sure. the media like turned that into a thing and you're like, He's right. And that's what I said. But And that's what I said, too, on Twitter. I was like, look, because even Cory Booker tweeted it out. And because Cory like, Booker needs to latch on to he it. He does. Right. He does. I mean, and if you don't know what we're talking about, Joe Biden made a comment. He's like, we need to get to a point where, you know, the kid in the hoodie is not considered a gangbanger because he could be the next poet laureate. And I was like, that is true, because we do need to stop assuming that people wear hoodies are gangbangers. Right. He was talking to the people in the audience, the older white people. Could he have said it better? I think so. I certainly could have, you know, I think he could have said something like, you know, we don't want that happen. We don't want situations that happen to folks like Trayvon. If he would have started to invoke, you know, one of the things that I did this year when I was chair of pride this year is, you know, the theme was like who we fight for this year. Mm -hmm. And part of that was reminding people that every policy has a name attached to it. Everything that we do has a name attached to it, whether or not it is, you know, black trans women being killed on the streets of, 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 of yeah. Los Angeles or around the country or, or, or service people getting kicked out or gay people getting ki- you know, kicked out or, you know, in 17 states across the country, it's you could still be fired for being gay. So, like, there are different things that is as long – I wish politicians, and especially Joe Biden, who uses anecdotes 
a lot to start putting a name to everything. Right. As you start to say something, say, we don't want this to happen because this happened to this person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and this is what's happening. Because yeah. as you start to connect to different people, that makes a little bit more sense. We don't want ha- what happened to uh, in Charlottesville with you know X, Y, and Z right. to happen in your home as right. we're going to connect it to gun policy. Right. We right. don't want what right. happened to all these 25 people in Orlando and then the shooting in that. We don't want teachers to have to pay for those, their, their own school supplies because this happened to this person in, in Michigan and Indiana and stuff like that. You know, as they start to do that, and some policies do that. Hillary Clinton was really good about that because mm-hmm. she remembers everything, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that Joe Biden would probably do himself a little bit better if he started to identify better instead of talking in a... But he's also old. Yeah. Well, then and, I mean, he's also old. He might and, not be able to remember. I think we have to remember that with him. But for me, going into these next debates, um, I and I know this ain't going to happen, but I wish I could see even talking time between the candidates because as much as we may not know about some of these other candidates, that's why we need to hear them talk. Mm. I don't think it's fair. I think, yes, you, you go in with the people who are popular, the people who, you know, have had their names out there because they're, you know, powerful senators and they've been speaking out and they've had more airtime. But I don't think that this, I don't agree with this debate format at all. I think it needs to be redone. I think everybody should get a few questions and everybody should be able to answer them because I don't think it's fair for people like Marianne Williamson and I laugh because God bless that woman, but in Andrew Yang and the people that we didn't even really get to hear talk for maybe 30 minutes into the debate, it's unfair. Yeah. So I would like to see more equal speaking time. It's not going to happen, but that's just my perfect world TV dream. TV time certainly does not help people out because there's just not enough time to talk to all those people. What'd you say? TV time. Oh, yeah. There's just not yeah. enough time to talk Right, to right. But then they need to just make the questions even. You know, every candidate gets three questions for the night and then you have two to three minutes to answer it and that's it. I mean, again, this is Melinda's perfect world situation. Mary it's not going to happen. Just, you know, look, Dark Crystal's coming out on Netflix soon and she probably is into that kind of I'm stuff. I'm upset with you. <laughs> but I'm sure her book... And- and, um, I'm uh, sure her book um, is going to be selling out. And then that's what she's on this weeks. debate stage for. Oh, yeah. We already yeah, know. Listen, Marion, and I, we were talking about it before we started recording. I said, you know, the camera pan that Marianne Williamson had that NBC <laughs> did on her, it was very theatrical. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then her head was moving and she was just into it. And that she accent. Looked like a, she looked like a fraggle rock. Oh, Stop and, it. But and, that and, accent, where is she from? It was like, I don't know. It, it wasn't. And, She's and I American, was waiting. I, I, I was, don't know. I was waiting on her to pull a RuPaul quote. Everybody say love, and just have everybody. Oh, you know, yeah. what I thought. I thought that. You know what? But you know what? I'm not mad at her. If she had said, if <laughs> no, she had I, said, in the words of my friend RuPaul, she would have gotten every gay. All the gays would have been mine. <laughs> yeah. You right, girl. Yeah. You are right. Exactly. You are right. Uh, and then, <laughs> then the audience would have been like, you know, you know, Rachel Maddow would have been like. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, I'm looking forward to see these next debates in July. Who, in the July. Okay. It's coming the up end of the soon. Month. Yeah, All yeah. Right. End of the All month. Right. So they got some time to raise a lot of money. And uh, and hopefully, uh, is it two nights again? It is. It's going to well, be two nights. We'll see what happens. We'll see how many people <laughs> make it through. <laughs> hopefully, it's only one night, and then we can just get to all these candidates. Um, but in typical We Need to Talk fashion, at the end of every episode, we'd like to highlight a community, organization, person, somebody that is doing good in the world. And of course, we asked our esteemed guest, Drexel, to highlight uh, an organization this week. So who do we got this week? Well, it is uh, the last day of June, which is the last day of Pride Month. 
Uh, New Yorkers are celebrating World Pride right now. My friends are complaining about the cover charges um, <laughs> to get into bars right now, but it seems like everybody's having fun. San Francisco Pride is today. LA had their Pride a couple of weeks ago, and I know Prides all across the country are happening. Um, but of course, um, one of our biggest organizations um, that is so vital to the LGBT community is the Trevor Project, um, a 1998 organization that really focuses on LGBTQ uh, suicides. Uh, and you know, we certainly want folks to remember um, that if you know somebody who is um, thinking about hurting themselves uh, because they don't have the support system, A, remind them that they certainly do have the support systems in their communities uh, and amongst their friends, um, uh, and that there are organizations out there like the Trevor Project that are doing, that are available 24 hours a day, uh, and, and that are certainly uh, willing to help you uh, talk through uh, some things, get you the resources that you need, um, because there are a lot of really great uh, organizations that I could go into uh, from the Trevor Project to the Point Foundation and even your local LGBT center um, that will certainly um, be there whenever you need them. So, uh, you know, take a look at Trevor Project and donate and uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks again awesome. for listening, you guys. That was a good little debate. We had our own debate bit, on this. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I like it. We need to heat things up on occasion. Uh, so we'll see you next week. Make sure you like, comment, subscribe. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we will talk to you next week. Later. Bye. Bye.